0: Hello, Anchored. It's good to see you. Well, I don't technically see you, but it's good to be um, preaching uh, again and sharing God's Word with you uh, as we navigate through this uh, very interesting time in the life of our church. And one that we, uh, I think, have navigated um, well. It was wonderful seeing some of your faces last Sunday as we decided to have a time to um, Zoom with one another, and we look forward to doing that again uh, this Sunday as well. But I want to take the time to continue right now in this series in Psalm 37. Psalm 37, uh, if you can turn there and look at it, which has been entitled, The Key to a Fearless Life. Or you might better say, The Keys to a Fearless Life. And just let me uh, pause for a moment and pray that the Lord bless our time. Father, give us grace, give me grace um, to communicate, give us all grace to hear your word and to be people that will be doers of it. We thank you for who you are, and you are God. When we trust in you, uh, we can indeed be fearless. So help me. Psalm 37, let me just read again the text that we're going to consider um now, verses five through eleven is going to be our focus. We've already addressed verses one to four. One to four: Do not fret because of evil doers. Do not be envious towards wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to wrongdoing, for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity." So as we continue in Psalm 37, and we're just going to actually go through verse 11 in the Psalm, I want us to think about how David can help us develop the confidence that we need in life. And in particular, when we are faced with these unstable moments of life that we can learn from this Psalm. In this portion, we're going to look at more commands that David provides for us so that we can live a life that is indeed fearless. Our focus is going to be on verse 5, commit to the Lord. Then as well, trust in Him. Verse 7, it says, rest in the Lord. Verse 8, cease from anger. So how do we do that? Now, I'm proposing that we can outline uh, this section with three divisions. Now, let me give them to you. Uh, number one is the blessing of committing to God's sovereign care. We see that in verses five and six. And then secondly, the blessing of resting in God's sovereign plan. We notice that in verse seven. And then the blessing of waiting for God's sovereign judgment. That's verses eight through 11. Now, you notice what is communicated um, in that outline, repeated, blessing, blessing, blessing. But also you will see sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. And so the focus in one sense uh, in this lesson is the realization that there is a blessing when we commit our lives to God's sovereign plan, his care, his sovereign hand, and God's sovereign judgment. Sometimes we can um, think incorrectly about a blessing, and we know there are a number of people that in their definition of blessing that is, it's more than fairly shallow, it's absolutely shallow, and they would associate a blessing simply with a life of prosperity and a life of ease. Whereas the psalmist is communicating, not only here, but consistently throughout, that there's a blessing and that blessing is found in trust, in commitment, in rest, in delight, in dwelling. Even if everything around us uh, is in one sense a storm, if you will, even if we are feeling overwhelmed, there is a blessing nonetheless when we entrust ourselves to the sovereign hand of God. And this is what he's communicating here. Commit to the Lord, trust also in him, rest in the Lord, and then cease from anger. So you need to hear this lesson. We all need to hear this lesson because I know all of us are faced at some point in time feeling that life is overwhelming us. And we must be in one sense overwhelmed by the greatness of God. And that will give us a perspective that our humanity doesn't afford us. This is a spiritual perspective that we can gain by considering this. Now, the first division, the blessing of committing to God's sovereign care, verses five and six. So here he says, commit your way to the Lord. Now, if we just look at it in reverse, to the Lord, that is that one which is sovereign over all things, that that one which is the covenantal God who watches over you, and we paid attention to that earlier in our lessons that here it is: Yahweh is the one that we entrust our lives to. He is the covenant keeping God, He is absolutely going to be faithful to you as a matter of fact, he cannot help but be faithful it is. It is in his very person, his very nature to be that. He can be nothing but that. And so now it says your way, that is what is, what do you mean by your way? It's simply another way of saying your life. Commit your path, commit your actions, commit your decisions, commit your future, commit your present to the Lord, your way. Um, And Pauline thought it would be your walk. Because we're supposed to walk worthy. So commit your walk to the Lord. Commit your life to him is what is being communicated here. But when it says here, commit, it's really communicating that we need to place life's burdens in the sovereign hand of God. A very interesting word, um, commit. Commit. And what does it mean? In in a literal sense, the word can mean simply mean it's a, a stone or to roll away a stone or to roll away something. And what's interesting, it would be used in a stone that's that's put in the mouth of a cave. It's it's a what what is this trying to capture for us? Um it means that in one sense. Someone has translated it, roll upon Yahweh thy ways, that is, place it on him. So when we, it says here to commit, uh, we trust in, in a manner that is eager and earnest to even uh, participate in trusting this great God. And that's what we're supposed to do in our Christian life. That's really, in one sense, the whole of it is a life of of commitment, isn't it? That we're saying, God, I entrust my path to you, my life to you, my decisions to you. There is, in fact, a, a New Testament connection to this. And I think it's rather clear that it may help us understand this idea of committing and then trusting. And somewhat of a distinction that may be between the two. And at 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter exhorts, and if you can just turn there briefly with me, 1 Peter 5 and 7. 1 Peter 5, 7, and what does Peter communicate? He looks to those that they must humble themselves, and he says, verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, here is that picture for us under his mighty hand, not your own, not your own resources, not your own abilities, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And 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 just in one sense, log away that idea of time in your mind, because it's going to come up again, even in this lesson, casting all your anxieties upon him because he does what he cares for you. So we committed to him. And here's this idea of commitment. And you remember I saying in some literal senses, it could mean to put a stone in front of something. And so figuratively, it's this idea that we're taking our cares and concerns and our burdens and we're rolling them upon Yahweh. And what Peter communicates here, cast your burdens upon the Lord. And in Peter's language, when it talks about casting, it's this idea of a word that would have been used for someone that's saddling a horse. And that horse is meant to be a beast of burden that can carry the load. And we find ourselves often in trouble and difficulty and we're unnecessarily weighed down because we are trying to hold on to these burdens and these concerns when there is one that is meant to carry them. The thought is also true, if you look with me, if you will, um, in Psalm 55. Psalm 55, verse 22, and, and surely this thought has influenced Peter, and he says in Psalm fifty five twenty two, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Cast it on him. His shoulders are, are broad enough. He, he is capable of carrying every burden, every concern that you have. But here's a question that comes up. Uh, why must we commit to the Lord? Why should we commit to the Lord? We have a certain degree of abilities and and insight and and wisdom and strength. But notice what I said, a certain amount, uh, a certain abilities. We are limited in fact, and we all recognize that. So why must we commit to the Lord? Uh, I would like to answer it uh, from the standpoint of um, maybe two statements, if you will. Number one. We must commit to the Lord because God's sufficiency demands it. Number one, God's sufficiency demands that we commit to him. I mean, time is not going to permit uh, for me to even scratch the surface of this reality that we serve an all-sufficient God. But we can simply say this, that we know that God is sufficient simply because he is Yahweh. He is the great and awesome God. And as long as we have a biblical view of God, and it is not one um, that has its source in modern culture or liberal theology, then we can have an assurance that God is sufficient to meet our every need. Uh, And once it's, uh, think about it this way. Just a, a brief reminder of God's pronouncement of his sufficiency in the first book of the Bible. And it seems to me very strategic that God would make this announcement in the first book of the Bible. The reasoning, um, we might say, is to set a tone for the rest of Scripture that he is the only true God. He is the only one that offers us true aid for those that are in need. God revealed to Abraham what? What did he say to Abraham? He said to Abraham that he is his declaration. He is El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. And the testimony of God's pronouncement is seen in Genesis in various ways and just several of them. El Shaddai, I'm all-sufficient, the God who creates. El Shaddai, I'm all-sufficient. There is a fall, but in that fall, it is a part of God's sovereign design to glorify himself. He is El Shaddai. He is all sufficient. He is a God that can close the womb as we saw it. And then we can open. He opens the womb even after um, the, the prime of life, if you will. in Sarah, yes, you will have a child. I am El Shaddai. I'm the all sufficient one. He is the all-sufficient one and the sacrifice of Isaac. And we know that account. Abraham is about to slay his only son, his only begotten son, this son of promise. And what was it? Do the child no harm. I have provided. And there was a ram in the thicket. God is sufficient. And we must trust that sufficiency. Turn with me, if you will, to... Psalm 31, Psalm 31. And then if we'll notice verse 14, we'll start there, but our focus is verse 15. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. This personal declaration. Verse 15, my times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. See what we should notice there in verse 15 so, in one sense, comforting for the believer, the statement, My times are in your hand. Where would you rather be? <laughs> I think we with me where would you rather be other than in the hands of a sovereign God? Where else? Uh, in your own hands? In the hands of friends, uh, loved ones? yeah there are people that we can trust and and perhaps we even should trust but they have limitations he is saying here my times that is my life my way my path it's in your hands it's the safest place to be in the sovereign hand of god because nothing nothing no power in the universe can Take you from that hand. No power in the universe is able to alter the hands of God and now direct it towards your harm. God, at times, we know, allows us to experience suffering and pain. But that's not because someone was able to take the hands of God and manipulate them and to move them. It's because the sovereign hands of God, while you, while you are still in his hand, allows the hurt, allows the pain, allows the suffering for a reason that sometimes we do not understand. We have to trust this God. And here's see, another reason for us to have a high view of God. You must have a sense that God is absolutely, perfectly larger than any difficulty or difficult person you may face in life. Here's another reason, number two, that we must commit to the Lord. Number two, our deficiency warrants it. Now... uh, Number one, God's sufficiency demands it. So it would only be right that on the other side of that coin, if you will, which is an opposite, our deficiency warrants it. And this can really be answered rather easily. In one sense, because it's evident from our choices that we are deficient. When the events of life seem to overwhelm us or when they, in fact, do overwhelm us, we quickly learn we, that we do not have the resources at our disposal that we might hope. And how can I just restate that uh, very briefly? We find ourselves when faced with these difficulties or hardships, even like David here, I do not have all the answers. I don't have the resources. I do not have the strength to navigate this situation. I need power from above, wisdom from above, and I need divine intervention in my life. I need to rest, commit to the sovereign hands of God. And why do we lack this? Why are we deficient? Because we lack power. We lack the power to control the events and people in our lives. And, and no amount of, of ingenuity or strength that you can conjure up will be able to overcome some of these people and some of these events. We must allow God's sovereign hand to run its course in our lives. Number two, you lack the wisdom to make the best choices in life. And this is why we must trust in all wise God. This is why James would tell us that we, we must seek this wisdom, this wisdom that comes from above. And we look to heaven and say, God, I don't have this wisdom. Remember, even um, Solomon, as he is about to take on um, officially the reign of Israel as king. And what does he cry out for? What does he ask the Lord for? Wisdom. And God gave him incredible wisdom. Wisdom. And with it, he gave him also influence with that wisdom. And he also, interesting enough, he also gave him riches because he didn't ask for riches. He asked for the thing that he needed. We're all lacking in wisdom. And this is why we must seek an all wise God. Because sometimes our formulas for life that we have created, simply when we put them together, we ask ourselves, why is this happening to me? Why at this point in life is this occurring? And this is where we need the wisdom of God. And sometimes, listen to this, wisdom is simply this, the wisdom to just rest and wait on the Lord, even when you don't have answers. And here's a third reason that we lack. We lack the rights to make certain decisions. That is, we can't make that decision. We we are not a sovereign being. God has the rights to do as he pleases in any way that he pleases, but we don't. So we have limitations. And in those rights, sometimes a person may want to vindicate themselves and even take revenge. And this is why the scripture tells us that God is the one that will vindicate and God is the one that will take revenge. Notice, if you will go back to Psalm 37. It says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Well, do what? What is God going to do? Well, vindication. Notice verse 6 he will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your judgment as the noonday. That is, um, your way, your path, your walk will become evident. God is on your side is what he's communicating here in a nutshell, if you will. But here's our second consideration. The blessing of resting in God's sovereign hand. We have already given you some of these images and thoughts from verses five and six, but the blessing of resting in God's sovereign hand. Notice verse seven. And what does it say? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in the way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. And this is the idea that we must resign in our hearts to trust and wait on God's perfect timing. God's perfect timing. And that could be difficult. Uh, We all know that. Waiting can be one of the most um, maturing aspects of our Christian life, but it's also one of the most beneficial and rewarding if we wait on the Lord. Now, here he says to rest uh, the the meaning of the word to, and one says be silent to to wait to cease, and that's why the ESV translates it be still in the Lord. It is I must. In one sense, be silent before Yahweh, and I wait on Him to come to my aid. Because sometimes, what we can do in the midst of a situation that is overwhelming us or a person that is fighting against us, we want to do everything in our power to fight against Him. We want to turn the tide, if you will. And God is saying sometimes in the midst of those situations that may be overwhelming you, what you must do is simply wait on the Lord. Job thirty twenty seven. Listen to this. I'm seeding within and cannot relax. I cannot rest. I cannot wait. I cannot be still. Days of affliction confront me. Consider Psalm 62, verse five. My soul wait in silence for God only for my hope is from him. And if you were to consider Psalm 62 as well and read to um, the rest of the Psalm, you'll see that refrain coming up, wait on the Lord, wait in silence, wait on him only. And it's interesting that the Psalmist communicates that with that sense of emphasis, only wait on him because there is no other resource that can intervene for you the way that God can, is what he's communicating. So we have to understand this reality. Relax. Be still. Now, this doesn't mean indifference. But it means that a person has to realize I'm at a point where this requires divine intervention. I'm at the end of my resources. And now I must wait on the Lord. I rest in him, be silent, not seek to vindicate myself so much, not speak, seek to speak so much. Let me be still before the Lord. And we need to understand that patience is needed for rest because he says here, wait. Now we return in one sense to one of the thoughts in our first message um, and it's the idea that we have to feed on God's faithfulness. Notice, if you will, if you can look at verse three, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And I propose that um, we can translate this, this idea to feed on God's faithfulness. That we go through life, we we live this Christian experience, and we must dine on the faithfulness of God. It nourishes the soul. And to feed on God's faithfulness means that we have to understand, recognize, meditate on the faithfulness of God. He is perfect in the exercise of his covenant love and faithfulness towards you. And while you're feeding on God's faithfulness, here's, here's the thing that you need to catch. While you're feeding on God's faithfulness, his perfect timing, his perfect plan is unfolding before you. Sometimes we don't see it because we are looking for the finished project, if you will. But God is unfolding it. We're looking for the finished plan, if you will, but God is making it and unfolding it right in front of you. I'm convinced that all of you that are listening to me right now, that you have some Christian testimony where you can say, indeed, God was faithful to me. And indeed, when I waited, I saw the sovereign plan of God unfold. And oh, how I'm so glad that I waited and I saw that in my life I was ahead of the Lord. I thought this plan was better. And now I look back, if you will, with a sense of spiritual 2020 lenses. And I realize now that God's plan was far superior to mine. And see, the the timing of God's plan is always beautiful. It's a thought that we can, your mind may even go to Ecclesiastes chapter three. Everything is beautiful in its time. Well, whose time? The sovereign timing of God. But sometimes we can be this way. We can sort of be like children who are so anxious, if you will. And, and I'm, I'm sure that I did it as a kid growing up. Uh, we had a tradition where, you know, the Christmas tree was out and, and the gifts were underneath. And, um, and they were placed there either that um, early in the morning or after i you know gone to bed. And there are times when a kid wants to get up and they're anxious about it and they want to open that gift right away. But it's not ready. It's not packaged yet, if you will. And sometimes in our life, um, God is saying to us, this is not ready. It's like this. It's like a good meal that takes time to prepare. And God is placing in ingredients to make that meal. And it's in his sovereign hand. And then, if you will, uh, certain things require that it has to be placed in an oven at a certain temperature for a certain amount of time. And we can look inside and see it and we can anticipate and we want to open it because we want to enjoy the meal when it's not ready yet. God is making all of us. He's sanctifying all of us. And there's sometimes in life when God is taking us through something and we have to just wait on him. Allow it to unfold. See his sovereign hand at work. And see, that's why verse four is so important in Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As we delight in the Lord, then God's timetable becomes our timetable because we're delighting in him. Then our heart becomes his heart. And better stated, really, his heart becomes our heart. Waiting on the Lord is important in the Psalms. Let's consider some examples of it. Turn with me to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. And you see this idea of waiting also um, connected to other spiritual thoughts. Psalm 25 and 3, we see waiting is connected to support. Psalm 25 and 3. Indeed, none of these who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. And what is it saying here? Wait, God is supporting you. It may not seem that way. You may feel like right now you've been humiliated. You are ashamed. And he's saying, no, God is supporting you. None who wait for you will be ashamed. Don't get ahead of the Lord. Notice verse 5 in Psalm 25. We see now waiting is also connected to truth. And what does it say? Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Patience is necessary. And we wait on God's truth. And what does this mean, waiting on his truth? Lead me in your truth. And here it's it's simply a request of the psalmist to say, God, lead me in the right path. Lead me in the correct way. And as you do this, you will teach me lessons about life. You are the God of my salvation. And I wait for you all the day. I long for you. I want to hear from you. I want to understand your truths. Notice verse 21 in Psalm 25. We see waiting is also connected to honesty. Verse 21 says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. What is he communicating there, perhaps? Um, <clears throat> in verse 21. Now, you need to notice a couple of things. I didn't read it the first time. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. That's important. He says, now it's connected to the sense in which We must walk in our integrity, and as we do that, God will preserve us. That is, he will keep us. That covenant love will overshadow us, and whatever we're facing in life, God will see us through it. Go with me to Psalm 27, Psalm 27, and then verse 14. It's waiting is also connected with courage. It's connected with courage. Notice verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And notice um, how he, in this one verse, makes waiting bookends, if you will. The Lord, wait for the Lord, wait for the Lord. In the middle, be strong and let your heart take courage. How can my heart take courage? Because you're waiting on the Lord, you're waiting on a covenant keeping God, and then you can take courage. It's as if, um, to think about it this way, and there have been many battles throughout history, and I could give you uh, any number of them, but let me just synthesize it into this this overall thought that would be true for so many. Uh, when troops are overwhelmed, one thing that they may do is call in for reinforcements. And there have been some battles throughout history where the reinforcements never came. They had no ability to make it there because they had uh, been dealing with an offense or an offensive from the enemy as well. The supplies couldn't reach them. But yet, when someone is in the midst of a battle, and they're calling out for reinforcements, their heart in one sense, if they in fact know that that support will come, then they can take courage. And so with us, we cry out to the Lord and we can take courage as we wait on the Lord. Now, the key is you may say, how long do I take courage? Well, the question is, how much do you trust God? How much do you believe that he's a covenant Keeping God. And sometimes the wait is long. And there have been battles throughout history. The wait was months and it was weeks. Sometimes it's hours. Sometimes it's moments. We just never know how long we have to wait. But see, that's not the important thing. The important thing is this. The one for whom you wait. If I'm waiting on a covenant-keeping God, I can take courage, whether it be a moment, or a day, or weeks, or months, or sometimes even years. It's the object of our faith, and it is a covenant-keeping all-sufficient God. So we wait on Him, and we can take courage. See, waiting is also associated with hope. Look at some... 39, Psalm 39 with me, that's associated with hope, Psalm 39. And this is important, particularly when we're faced with something that may seem to be overwhelming as David is helping the people of God gain courage even through this Psalm. As David in his own life faced many situations where he was overwhelmed, he had to be courageous, but he also had to have this sense of hope. Uh, another Psalm of David, and. Psalm 39, 7 says this, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And if our hope is in God, then we can take courage because we wait on a God that offers us hope. Look at Psalm 40, if you will. Psalm 40 verse 1. uh, Waiting is also connected with answered prayer. I wait patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. So answered prayer. We wait on the Lord. We cry out to Him, and it. Notice what it says. He in, he inclined to me. That is, he leaned towards me is is what it's communicating. And we think about, well, I'm inclined to help a person. That is, uh, we are motivated to be on their side. We're motivated to come to their aid. And David is saying, God is inclined to me and he heard my cry and he's coming to my rescue. But we all know many times David cried out and the answer did not come immediately. But see, that's hope. Hope is even in our faith we heaven we wait on heaven but we know it exists. We wait to see the Lord Jesus Christ again, but we don't see him and the church has been waiting now for 2000 years, but we know that he's coming. That's hope. And we have to have hope in the midst of difficulty. So answered prayer. Let me give you another. Look to Psalm 52. Psalm 52. Waiting is also associated with God's name. It's associated with God's name. In Psalm 52 and verse 9, it says, and let me start at verse 8. Uh, but as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of our God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give thanks to you forever because you have done it. Now, remember that language, you have done it. You remember in Psalm 37, it says, and God will do it. That is in God's perfect time. He vindicated. He brought about revenge for me. He redeemed me. He saved me out of a difficulty. Then in verse nine, it says the latter part. And I will wait on your name for it is good in the presence of your godly ones. That is important. So here we find God's name is associated with waiting. What is what does it mean? God's name. It's a simply a statement of who he is. And you've heard this before. You've probably given it thought yourself that at times um, and it may be in certain cultures, it still remains that way. But uh, names were very important. It was a statement about um, maybe the life situation of the child's birth. It had to do with family um, line. It was a statement at times that God directly to a prophet named the child this because it's making a pronouncement either for Israel or against Israel. And so God's name, the scripture says that God's name is holy. God's name is great. God's name is wonderful. It is a statement of who he is. So again, we have come full circle, if you will. We wait on the Lord because of who he is. And that's expressed even in his name. And that's why he says here, uh, David, I wait on your name for it is good. What is his name? I think what David is communicating here. What is his name? It is El Shaddai. What is his name? It is Yahweh. What is his name? The faithful God. What is his name? Holy. What is his name? The provider. The instructor. What is his name? The Lord of hosts. The one who fights battles for his own name and for me. This is his name. And so... We have to wait on the Lord. Go back to Psalm 37, and he communicates here in verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, he says. And what's interesting, patiently, that is, it's a sense of expectation we might even say we wait with a sense of longing, anticipation that God, in fact, will come through, but it will be in his perfect timing is what he's communicating. His perfect timing. I'm going to have to wait till next week to finish the rest of these verses, but let me share with you a story. Um, J.C. Penny, James Cash Penny. Um, Not many of the stores are as popular, but I remember shopping at J.C. Penney often growing up as a kid. Listen to this story. J.C. Penney, coming from a long line of Baptist preachers, grew up with deep convictions. He was unwaveringly honest and he was a hard worker. But in 1929, when the Great Depression hit, Penny found himself in crisis. He had made unwise commitments and they turned sour. Penny began to worry about them and soon he wasn't able to sleep. He developed a painful case of shingles and was hospitalized. His anxiety only increased in the hospital and it seemed resistant to tranquilizers and drugs. His mental state deteriorated until, as he later said, I was broken nervously and physically, filled with despair, unable to see even a ray of hope. I had nothing to live for. I felt I had no friend left in the world, that even my family had turned against me. One night, he was so oppressed. He didn't think his heart would hold out and expecting to die before morning, he sat down and wrote farewell letters to his wife and sons. But he did live through the night. And the next morning, he heard singing coming from the little hospital chapel. The words of the song said, be not dismayed. Whatever betide, God will take care of you. Entering the chapel, he listened to the song, to the scripture reading, and to the prayer. Suddenly, something happened. I can't explain it, in the words of Penny. I can only call it a miracle. I felt as if I had been instantly lifted out of the darkness of a dungeon into warm, brilliant sunlight. All worry left him as he realized more fully that he had ever imagined before how the Lord Jesus Christ cared for him. From that day, J.C. Penney was never played with worry, and he later called those moments in the chapel the most dramatic and glorious 20 minutes of my life. God got a hold of his heart, the things that he believed that had been taken away from him because he focused so much on the circumstances of life as he, he felt overwhelmed. But by God's grace, he heard the word of God read. He heard a prayer. He heard a song that in principle communicated the great truth of this psalm and many other psalms and many other portions of scripture. And God put him on another path. We are people that must rest in the sovereign hand of God.